When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody. It's great to have you with us for the very first This Is Your Journey for 2024. Now, our chats this year are once again brought to you by the fine folk at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And to open our account today, we're joined by a man who is, well, among other things, acutely aware of the heartbreaking realities of professional sport. Daniel Menzel was a first-round draft pick who played 80 AFL games, kicked 143 goals for Geelong and Sydney, admirably fighting back from four knee reconstructions and a near four-season absence from the top level. Dan's story is one of mental strength, resilience and dogged determination in the face of hardship and challenges. Daniel Menzel, welcome and thanks for joining us. Sammy, I appreciate it. Good to be on the line with you. It's not easy to say and I can't imagine it ever gets easy to hear, does it? The recounting of the knee injuries. The right one first and then the three on the left. I'm not sure if time makes it easier but it uh, can't be easy to keep hearing. So apologies for that right off the top. No, it's um, it's one that I guess when you're in the uh, experience and you're going through the rehab, the trauma and the anxiety everything around is pretty challenging but uh, I guess I've got to a stage now where I have a sports consulting business which deals with people with injuries and setbacks adversity and uh, it's something that I, I'm not completely desensitized to it but you certainly do have a uh, level of it that it becomes much more normalized which um, probably shouldn't be for four ACLs but it has been to me in my life. Yeah and I was going to ask if there was still just a little bit of I don't know often you think back over the career but maybe even a little bit of the the why me that might sit within you or, or well and truly dealt with by now because, geez, you're a very talented, skilled player when you came in. You had that 2011 breakout season and, you know, the path seemed set before, you know, life took you in another direction entirely. Yeah, I mean, it's a frustrating one. I've never really looked at the why me factor and and tried to project too much because I don't think that's beneficial or healthy. But at the same time, I try and see the positives in things and and what has come from it. Um, Now, I mean, you do watch people run around and even just myself running around even still today and you think yeah, if I could move without um, any sort of any injuries or any implications then it would be nice to have had a good uh, injury free run but most players don't get that in their career and mm. that's probably just the reality of my situation. Yeah no, that's a very healthy perspective to have and we'll, we'll come back to all that a uh, little bit later on in our, in our chat but w- where do we find you at the moment? Uh, I am based in Adelaide at the moment so um I moved back here when I finished up at Sydney, which timing-wise for me was probably a pretty good thing. I moved back here, uh, COVID then Mm. basically struck within a couple of months. So it was nice to be around family and friends for that, I guess, tough sort of couple of year period. And I guess the other thing which was 
uh, I was, we were very fortunate over here was we didn't have the major lockdowns that Melbourne and, and Sydney did where I was living. So it, uh, it probably was a, although I was out of the AFL in terms of lifestyle and living wise and family wise, it was um, a good result. Yeah, indeed. And you've gone back to grassroots footy, which is awesome. Now, who are you captain coaching this year over there? I am playing and coaching at the Coorong Cats. So they're in the River Murray Football League, a country league just outside of Adelaide. So it's uh, my first season outside of the AFL and the Sandful over here. So it's um, it's a nice, um, I guess, step down in terms of it's not a, it's not a full-time job. It's, it's not as full on it's not as serious you get to enjoy it a little bit more and, and it's a bit more relaxed with the players which I love that change in uh, in yeah. footy for me this season yeah for sure I shouldn't assume you're captain either I mean you're probably not so you're just a playing coach uh, I, if I make myself captain there might be a few questions so uh, <laughs> no I'll be definitely giving that duty to someone else uh, we've got a couple of good captains from last season that can take the, take the mantle mm. again so um, the, the thing I have learned Sammy with that is especially if you're going to be a player coach and a lot of good advice I've got from some good people around me is that you need a lot of people around you because if you're on the field playing you can't be coaching and doing everything so yeah. uh, I'll be I'll be landing on my captains and my bench coaches and everyone else at the footy club. So you played under I mean three of the most successful coaches that, uh, of the modern day anyway in Chris Scott, Bomber Thompson of course initially when you first got to Geelong and then uh, you know John Horse, Longmire as well so I imagine do you take little bits and pieces from all three of those guys what sort of coach are you going to be? Yeah you, you certainly do like you, you look at the way all three of them handled, I guess, players, game plan, so many different aspects of it, and did it so successfully for such a long period of time. I think in terms of that, and then even my sample coaches I've had in recent times, you pick up different things, you you learn um, things that you love about coaches, and you also learn things that you maybe tweak and change, and probably not just from senior coaches, but assistant coaches in particular, because you deal with them on a day-to-day basis. Um, so for me, look, I... I believe that, and particularly at a lower level, it is all about the enjoyment. It's all about having fun. It's all about it being a really positive play. So we're going to hopefully play a really positive attacking game style of footy. And, and, and I've said to the boys the other day, don't get me wrong, we're still going to defend and try and stop teams. But at the same time, I want us to play a really uh, positive attacking game that if you make mistakes, it's okay. We're going to go for things. And, and hopefully that can rub off on the group. And am I right to say you were a dad now, as of a couple of months ago anyway? I am three months ago. So we had our first child so bailey jet menzel uh his name is so bailey. um he's nice. just he's uh he's asleep upstairs at the moment and it's going really well i mean you talk to a lot of people who've obviously got kids and they say it's pretty challenging and the sleep's not great i think we've been pretty fortunate to be honest he's uh, he's been really good so far he sleeps through the night and he wakes up once or twice so it has been uh it's been really nice uh a new addition to our family and so family life obviously a bit of country footy and tell us a bit more about this sport consultancy business while we're keeping up with modern day uh, activities yeah so i've got a sports consultancy business called mental toughness mental fortitude and and mtmf so what it is is i basically started it when i came back from my for uh, reconstructions mm. in the AFL and uh, there's a couple of different reasons for it. it. It was one of the reasons was a lot of people contacted me when I came back and asked for advice on injuries, um, on how I, I battled with mental health through it. Uh, I had a lot of people contact me and say they'd never played sport, but they just they could understand the similarities and the challenges that I went through when they watched my documentary. So I thought from there, after replying to a lot of people, maybe I should 
maybe I should actually make a website and put some information on there and I've just gradually grown it over the last seven or eight years and uh, I've got an ACL plan on there for people who tear their ACL unfortunately it does poach you through a little bit month month to month the mental and physical side but also the sports consulting element of it I do I work with um, players with sporting clubs with corporate businesses on on overcoming that adversity and and challenges and the setbacks and the mental health aspect as well, which is obviously really picked up in the last five years. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, geez, you've set, you set yourself up really well. I had a good look at the website, ntmf, mtmf.com.au, and there's a it's a great tool for people to, to keep tabs on. I mean, chats like this, to be honest with you, because you're still a, a pretty young man at 32. I mean, they make me feel a little bit old. I mean, how do you look back at your AFL career, I remember when you were drafted. I mean, I know it's a very broad question to throw at you, but does it feel like it passed by in a flash given the amount of misfortune you endured? Or, I mean, how does it live on and sit with you now at, at the age of, uh, of 32 as you, you know, embark on all these new chapters in your life? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Anyone who finishes up at AFL level, the, the common thing that you hear from players, and particularly when you're still in the game, is um, don't take it for granted. It goes by in a flash, as you said. Um, for me, I don't know, it sort of feels a little bit different to that. Maybe because I mm. didn't play for 1,450 days, I missed such a long period of time and um, have been through a bit and obviously had to learn a lot. Um, and there's been a lot of different chapters in my footy story. So it actually doesn't feel like it's gone by in the flash. It, it feels like it was um, a long time ago that I, I did my first ACL. And um, you mentioned I'm 32 now, but I don't know, I still feel like, I've got a few years left in terms of body-wise and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I do feel like, whether good or bad, there's been a lot involved in my in my story. And, um, again, try and take the positives from it. But, yeah, it just it mm. feels like when I think back to playing, um, particularly for Geelong, it, it feels like it was a long, long time ago. And it really wasn't. It was only five years ago. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, when so much happens, it, it, it can it can feel like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Um, you're listening yeah. to this is your journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers. They're a family-owned business. They have been since 1934. So a Crows fan who became a cat, we're going to retrace Dan Menzel's path to the big time after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Former Geelong Sydney forward Dan Menzel is our guest today. So, so Dan, where was uh, take me back? Where was home as a kid? Yeah, so home was uh, in Golden Grove in Adelaide in South Australia. So we lived there and that's where I was until... I got drafted, so uh, lived at, obviously at home with my five brothers. So uh, there were six boys in our family. So, unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. One of six. It really was. Mum obviously wanted a girl, and that didn't quite pay <laughs> off. But um, <laughs> it, uh, it was amazing growing up. I mean, we had half a cricket team, so it was always good fun in the backyard. I have no doubt that it helped myself and my younger brother, Troy, make it to the AFL because we were always able to play and compete against each other in the backyard and have makeshift goals. And I have joked about this since, Troy and I have joked about this since in particular to our dad and, and even a little bit to our mum that all those broken windows 
days in the backyard uh, when we were a bit younger certainly paid off because uh, we were able to make it to the AFL and small targets that we'd go for and hit that they got pretty angry at, at the time was uh, maybe beneficial. So I think it was Adam, Matt, Chris, yourself, Sam and Troy separated by, what, around 12 years, I reckon. You mentioned broken windows. What about broken bones? See, the fights must have been intense. Two eldest were a little bit older than the next four. So effectively, they sort of oversaw, I guess, what happened. And therefore, we couldn't fight them. So potentially, it meant that it wasn't uh, as full on as you'd expect in terms of the fighting element. But um, the competition was the one that I always remember. And it was always fantastic, whether it be AFL, cricket, whatever sport we played. I feel very fortunate that I was able to grow up with five brothers. I I certainly, now that I've got one young boy, I'd love to have another one or two. So that he's got someone to be able to grow up and, and share all these sort of memories with that that I was able to have. How did your folks make it work? I mean, I think your, your mum, Kathy, might have needed a bus licence to ferry you all around. Like, I mean, how did you get to your sport, other your brother's commitments? How did it all possibly just turn out? It's amazing. It is amazing. When I, when I look back on it and think back on it, as you sort of, when you say that, you do think it actually should be impossible for it to really work. But mum in particular found a way to be able to take us to our different sports. Sacrifice she made was amazing. And then she was able to lean on um, on our older brothers at times. I mean, my, my parents split up when, when I was probably 10. So although dad was still on the scene, um, obviously they were living apart and we would go around there every every second weekend so it meant that yeah. during the week uh, effectively mum would mum would have to do a lot of the a lot of the hard work and driving around so it was rather incredible I mean we did we did have to at times get buses and do other things like that and that was sort of I guess the norm but yeah I'd I, I take my hat off to mum and the way she raised us but also just the sacrifices she made throughout her whole life. So just with a game that would become your life I guess we all start playing for fun of course that's why we take it up but when did you realise that you know hang on I might have something here that can can take me a bit further. Was was there a moment? Was there a game? Was just a steady progression? Just take us through your footy evolution. It probably wasn't your standard pathway. I mean, when I was up until maybe under 12, 13, I obviously loved footy and I knew I was good at footy. I was making every rep team and, and I was going very well. And then probably took a little bit longer to develop than, than some others. And I mean, everyone knows the stories of when you're in under 14s and you haven't got any hair on your legs and there's guys with full beards and hair on their legs and, and you fall behind those players. And mm. it's something that when I do my coaching now, I try and uh, remind and let players know that, hey, everyone develops at different ages. So don't be too disheartened. If you're not where you want to be when you're 14, 15 or 16, which was certainly the case with me, I didn't make any state squads in those years. And it took until I was sort of 17 or 16, turning 17 and in the under 18 squad and started to play some good footy and got the opportunity to play state footy and, and they played me at half back because I think which happens with most state teams is the majority of the players pick the midfielders and then you've got a couple of other forwards in there so we had to find a few at half back and, and I was fortunate enough to play in, the, in all the state games at half back and I guess after the state games finished that's when I knew okay I'm, I'm probably going to get drafted because I've sort of had every team speak to me so it did happen very quickly all of my draft year maybe a four or five weeks prior to the state games I, I didn't think I was going to get drafted yeah right so I was going to ask you about that because from memory I thought you were always around that maybe late first round mark and I guess it, I'm not sure if you're even really wanted to stay in Adelaide or whether you, you you didn't want to leave or you did. But, I mean, if you did want to stay, you're in good hands because I think the Crows had pick 13. I think Port Adelaide had three picks inside 16 as well. So there was a reasonable chance you were going to get to stay in Adelaide. Take us through the draft and, and how it all eventuated. My year was the first year, I believe. I could be wrong here, but I believe that it was the first year of telecast on Foxtel. So it was one that I went to my brother's house who had Foxtel at the time and was able to watch it and <laughs> – 
and see, whereas in the past you'd obviously have to listen on the radio. So very fortunate that we had Foxtel. Um, knowing that the Crows had an early pick, uh, you're right, it was Daniel Taylor they took. Yeah. Port Adelaide had three selections. They went with Moore, Butcher and Pittard. And so I knew that there was a distinct possibility that I would end up in Adelaide. But I probably had a few other teams that seemed more interested. Again, Geelong's notorious for not giving away their hand and showing their hand, and I did not think I was going to be picked up by Geelong until on the day when I, I got a little bit more of an inclination. Selection 17, Geelong Cats. Player 210077, Daniel Menzel from Central District. Brisbane was probably the one, and, and the sliding doors moments. I, I had Brisbane met with me a couple of times and were extremely keen, and their head recruiter said to me, we're, we're going to take you at pick 15, and to Things probably won't change. Like that's what we expect to happen. And uh, maybe a week or two before the draft happened, I, I got a phone call from the head recruiter, and he said, "Well, we've just traded pick 15 for Brendan from Fowler, so that uh, that won't be happening." And, and then they had obviously picked 29. So. It, I mean, they did say, we'll take you at 29. We don't think you'll be there. But it was nice to know that I would go. And then, obviously, Geelong at 17 um, was the one which, when you get... I, I was happy leaving Adelaide. I was happy staying in Adelaide. But I was also very happy to leave. I just wanted to play out for footy. But to go to the team that won the premiership mm. the year before and had won two and three years, yeah, it was pretty special when that when that happened. Yeah, and I'm sure it is. And then, on the other hand, that was a draftee. I mean, you've got to be a little bit selfish because I imagine you want to play and you want to play straight away. I mean, that, that's what it's about. You've got pride in your own performance and you want to achieve things. So great that you're going to the Premier. And at that stage, they were just always in contention. But what goes through your mind when you think, crockies, how am I going to break into this side? It's an interesting one because, yeah, I probably, I went there and I was probably a little bit more overawed that okay, I'm going to the Premiership team. Some of these guys are superstars of the game. And I, don't, I guess I didn't think that at first. When I originally got there, I had OP, osteitis pubis. And so it sort of took that out of my mind in terms of playing straight away anyway it was get the body right and see how you go so it's one that yeah you do look at other players though they're going to lower teams and are playing straight away and you do wonder yeah which situation would be better but in saying that I knew that once I got to Geelong the guys I was learning off and although I was very confident as a young kid I was, I was naive at times with my confidence um, I was pretty fortunate and I knew I was pretty fortunate to be around some of the players I was. I was going to ask you about your self-confidence and, and so I'm glad you addressed that because I mean was it in any way intimidating maybe not walking into a locker room that had you know Gary Ablett Bartell Enright Chapman Matty Scarlett Stevie Johnson I mean the list goes on and on Joel Selwood obviously in the the first few years of his career what was that like yeah no that certainly was intimidating I, I still remember my first day walking in and a lot of those names were in there and you you are nervous and you feel like you've walked over and you've said the softest hello to all the guys and you've given them the softest handshake and you, you yeah I just remember being very nervous in that moment um walking into that locker room so it is it is daunting it definitely is yeah it was it's a humbling experience it certainly is and yeah that's one memory that definitely is vivid in my mind <laughs> and who got around you early on or did you strike up a friendship uh, with some of the the younger members of the side or who do you remember who took you in yeah so Geelong has a um host family set up yep. or, and and they did what they did for a long time and I believe they still might but so I originally moved in with the host family um, and Adam Barker was actually in with the host family and I think the reason they put us together was we were both from Central District so I originally moved in with him and then obviously my draft year the likes of Mitch Duncan, Nathan Vardy, Alan Christensen, Josh Cowan, James Pozzi actually was in our year as well but so yeah, so you, you obviously in your first year you have a heap to do with those guys and that's how the sort of program runs. But at the same time, I was pretty um, 
I was pretty aware that I was probably going to play as a, a medium forward initially for Geelong. And, and so then you look at the guys that play in those roles and you want to learn off. Stevie Jays is the obvious one that came to mind. And yeah, I, I remember one of the first sort of events we had. Um, I gravitated towards him and uh, it meant that I had a, a pretty severe headache the next day. <laughs> That's right. They played hard, but some of them partied out as well. Yeah, no, they they certainly um, knew how to celebrate the victories. And I mean, it's a different it's a different time yeah. back then, to to be honest, than what it is now. But um, yeah, no, it was a team that was they would always train extremely hard. But then once training's done, then yeah, they'll make the most of it as well. Yeah, and and just some of those early training sessions. I imagine you just uh, packing your ducks, aren't you? For lack of a better phrase, you just want to be seem to be at least, you know, swimming rather than sinking and, and that feeling of, geez, am I out of my depth here? Must be must be pretty real in those first couple of days and weeks. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, a couple of thing points on that. When I, I came from Central Districts in the sample who had won effectively nine of eleven premierships. So mm. what that did was um the that they would have been at the time the best team outside of the AFL and they had a lot of senior players that had AFL experience. And I just remember the standards there being extremely high. The feedback, particularly from the Gowns boys, was um, very direct. And you just, you never wanted to get in the way of that. And so when I got to Geelong, it wasn't dissimilar in terms of how vocal, um, how direct, how full on it was. So it probably um, gave me a, a little bit of an inclination into what it would be like. And then obviously the standards and professionalism was just on completely another level. But I do remember thinking in my early years, the first couple of years I was at Geelong, that's as good as I've heard a team when it comes to voice communication, professionalism as I've been a part of. I remember Blingy as, as skipper and just every single play we would do, whether it be a tackling drill or match sim drill, you would hear him in everything. And then it would just it would filter across the group. And yeah. I guess that's why there was such confidence in the group. And, yeah, I just remember thinking this is a pretty special team to be a part of. We're with former AFL forward Daniel Menzel, and this is your journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Well, few players, as we've touched on, have endured the horrible injury setbacks that Dan did. We'll find out how he got through it after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is retired Cats and Swans goal kicker Daniel Menzel. So, Dan, you make your debut round 20, 2010, and by 2011, you're a regular. You kick five against Collingwood in the last round of the season, and by the time you kick two against Hawthorne in your first final, that year's qualifying final, you got 28 for the season, a rising star nomination along the way, and it's been a great campaign. Then the right knee collapses against the Hawks. Um, your memories of this night, this was the one that stands out for a lot of people. The memories of this is when I initially tore my ACL, I didn't know I'd torn my ACL. I I thought uh, again, I had a small pop in the knee or, or a decent excruciating pain in the knee, but you don't know. The first time you do it, you have no idea what you've done. Tuopolo and Menzel. One from Central Districts and one from North. They played those two teams in that grand final last year. Not that Menzel was there. That's a good chase. Menzel's he okay? I've been in New York, I know. That looks nasty. So he's still in trouble here, Menzel, remembering five last week, two so far tonight. This is certainly tragic from a personal level. Hopefully he'll be back. But 
That's the cut and thrust of the game. So I remember being stretched off and went down into the change rooms. And um, as you'd said, I, I keep the couple. We were still behind at the time. I, I just remember saying to the physio and doctor, can I get back out there and play? And they were like, let's, let's just assess it first. And so they did and they didn't look too positive. And I just said, oh, can, can you let me go for a couple of run run throughs up and down the corridor here in, in the MCG change rooms? And so they did, and I, I did that, and I couldn't decelerate. And I sort of then instantly knew, okay, something's not right. And so I walked back in the, into the trainer's room, and, and they said, look, mate, we're, we're pretty certain you've torn your ACL. And I knew what an ACL injury was. I knew what the time was, um, but I still had to hear it. And I, I just said to them, so I won't be able to play in, in a prelim final in a couple of weeks' time. I mean, that's how confident I was in our group that I didn't even think about playing in a semi-final if we had a loss. But I just said, I won't be able to play in a, in a prelim final in two weeks. And I said, no. And I said, so I'm going to miss the grand final, aren't I? And they said, yeah, you are. And so that's when it sort of just hit me and the emotion overcame me and I got obviously visibly upset and had a shower and then the boys obviously went on and won the game. I mean, it's hard to go through at any age, but I guess at 19, I was at the time, uh, you'd mentioned I'd sort of just started to get my career going and consolidate a spot in the team. And yeah, you're so immature that, yeah, it just it's really hard to comprehend and deal with. And mm. yeah, it was a really challenging, challenging night for me. And a couple of weeks later, they go on obviously to win the premiership uh, under Chris Scott. I mean, that must have been the definition of, I don't know, bittersweet, I'd imagine. You're obviously happy for your, for your teammates, of course, but probably sitting there thinking that that could have and should have been you. Yeah, it was. It was um, It was a really challenging few weeks. I mean, you you have in the back of your mind, you have a complete fight in the back of your mind all the time. And you're going, no, no, I want them to win. And then 30 seconds later, you're going, I, I hope they lose. And you're going, why am I thinking this way? I don't understand. Um, and it is just the it's a horrible feeling. And then watching on grand final day, you're, you're cheering everything and you're genuinely happy. But then at the same time, you're like, should I be happy? And so it is, it's really challenging. I think so many people in life have been through something similar, whether it be in sport or, or whether it be work or whether it be family. And, and you don't know how to feel and it's something that um, I sort of pass on to people that it's okay to, you don't have to try and put on a brave face all the time and tell yourself to be positive, it's okay to have those feelings, um, mm. accept them and, and it should hopefully help you move forward a little bit quicker and it's one that yeah, I certainly learned a lot throughout that period And I, but I was never, never aware that this was going to be the start of not just one ACL, I thought I'd come back from one and I'd be fine and my career would be away so you knuckle down in your rehab though, Dan. You return via the VFL in, I think, uh, June of 2012. So it's, it's about nine months later and the left knee gives way in your first game back. So I, I can't even imagine how big of a blow that was. Daniel Menzel, he was returning from that uh, reconstruction. He suffered in the qualifying final against the Hawks. And sadly today, it is a suspected ACL. Geelong have put it out on Twitter. It is a suspected ACL. They'll consult a surgeon. It is in the opposite knee to that that he did back in 2011. Yeah, that was really difficult to do all the rehab for a bit over nine months and then in one incident, the other knee goes and I guess for me it was a similar similar motion in terms of it was a clean snap so as soon as I did it I knew what I'd done um, I couldn't believe it I was in a bit of shock but I knew I'd effectively ruptured my other ACL and rightly or wrongly my first thought was 
thoughts, well, I'm going to miss out on another premiership again this year. And mm. I'm not sure whether that's the right call. And I've spoken with a lot of people about it since. And they're like, yeah, most people probably just think that, yeah, all right, well, now, now I've got to do another nine months rehab. But I'd missed out on that premiership. It was it driven me so much that it was my complete goal to get back and play in the premiership. I knew we'd be a good team again the next season. So when that happened, that was my initial thought. Yeah, obviously a really challenging time. And having to then work out, well, then what's the plan from here if I've just done an ACL on both my right and then left knees. And then at the end of the year, obviously pre-season training, you're back in a period of training here. You hurt the left knee again. So at the idea of Lars and Lars' surgery, how did that come about? Now, for those who are unfamiliar, that's obviously the type of surgery that involves a synthetic ligament and, and obviously came and comes with the claim that it can slash recovery time by what, Dan? Up to eight months, I think they say. So how did the idea of Lars come about at the third time? Yeah, so... When I um, had torn a couple of ACLs, I just remember saying to my physio and, and doctor, I just remember saying, oh, I've done back-to-back rehabs. I can't do back-to-back-to-back rehabs that are nine to 12 months in. So I said, physically, I probably can, but mentally, it's just becoming too much. And so that's when we looked down the pathway of Lars, which at the time was a three, three-month recovery, three to four months um, at, at most. So we sort of looked at it and thought, well, maybe we can try that and but if it ruptures, then we can put another one in effectively and you've still got time up your sleeve. Now, there's a lot of other things that come with it and you probably need to know when you're doing it in terms of when you have a Lars, they've got to actually reinforce it, which means that if you unfortunately tear your Lars, they've got to take all of that, I guess, scaffolding out of your knee, which leaves holes in your knee and you've got to have a two-part process to fix it up. So there was a lot of things that went into it after I did tear my ACL with the Lars, but it was mainly, I don't want to do the nine to 12 months rehab again mentally. Some players that had Lars at the time, my brother had and it was holding up. So we looked at it that maybe this new procedure might work. And unfortunately for me, it certainly didn't. It didn't. But uh, my memory of the reporting of Lars at the time is a bit hazy. You're walking straight away, aren't you, basically? Because it's a synthetic graft and ligament, you do. You you walk and move straight away because the (sighs) the new ligament isn't, I guess, your hamstring or your patella tendon. So it is all then just about training your body back up to be able to move and walk and run again. It takes out all of the healing time. It's already healed. It's fixed in place. So effectively, yeah, you're in, you're out, and you're up and walking and moving. And that's why there was no real set time on Lars because it's as quickly as you can get yourself going again. Yeah. Um, so that's why it uh, was the process and the, the option chosen by us and other players. But unfortunately, they do wear thin over time. And uh, I'm not sure there'd be any Lars that actually stand there anymore in anyone's knees that have been done back then. I mean, my brother had it done when he was only 16 and he's lasted 10 years, which is absolutely unheard of. But um, we knew it was always a ticking time bomb. He ended up tearing it a couple of years ago in the sample. So uh, it's one that, yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, yeah, we probably should have chose a different option, but I don't completely regret the Lars. It's um, obviously my, my actual traditional graphs weren't holding up that well at the time either. Yeah, exactly. No, you can completely understand your, your reluctance to go through another long uh, rehab for the third time in, in as many uh, as many years, basically. So you get yourself up and running after the Lars. What, four months later, you're back by the VFL again, April 2013. Incredible. But you re-injure it, a ligament this is, in your second match. And this time, you're going back in for another full box and dice, the ACL again. So four knee Ricos by the time you're 21. I, I just have to ask, how many times did you give serious consideration, Dan, to giving it away? 
I, might be hard to believe, but I never ever really like giving it away. I by the time I got to my fourth one, that's when I had the questions from obviously externally, but even internally, that's when it was well, maybe mm. maybe this isn't for you, maybe after footy's not for you, and the body's sort of trying to tell you that. I never factored that in. I guess one of my favorite quotes, and I've sort of adapted it to my situation a little bit, is pain is temporary. It may last a moment, a week, uh, a few years, or in my case, up to four years. If I quit, however, it lasts forever. And for me, I always thought when I was injured, when I watched my teammates train every single day, and then I watched them play on the weekend, and I'd be in the grandstand, I always thought, will that be me back out there one day? And I thought, if I don't go one more time, I'll forever be sitting here in the grandstand uh, and wondering, maybe if I gave it one more shot, I might have made it back. Um, And so... That's what always stuck with me. But as I work with uh, players that go through ACL injuries at, at the moment and, and even other injuries, I sort of mentioned that everyone's case is different. Now, some people, the trauma is too much. Some people, it impacts their work uh, way too much and they can't. They, they have to pivot in a different direction and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But for me, in my situation, um, yeah, I always just thought if I don't give it one more go, then I'll always regret it or always wonder, would I have made it back? Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and you did. And thank goodness you did. So 1,000. 448 days after that fourth Rico, uh, or after you you played uh, between the four Ricos, it's around 22, 2015, you make your AFL return. Now, you haven't played an AFL game since 2011. You kick four goals against Collingwood. I can't imagine. How were the nerves going into that? Or had you processed it all and, right, you put it behind you somehow? I can't imagine the the anticipation and anxiety about coming back after so long. It was obviously a, a massive night for me and my family and everyone and the footy club and everyone involved in my journey and I'd played six weeks in the VFL prior to coming back I had a week off in between Mm. VFL games and my AFL comeback and a big part of that was just to fill myself with so much confidence that I knew I'd done the work I having gone through four ACL reconstructions at the time no one had done that in the history of the AFL so Effectively, my rehab, the way I viewed it, should be world-class. It should be ticking all the boxes. And I learned in my last rehab in particular that the attention to detail I took to another level, everything I needed to tick off, I would write down in a weekly format and I'd have about 50 things on my checklist. And if I didn't tick it off, I'd move them back a week. And what it did was by documenting it, it gave me so much confidence that when I came to play, I knew I'd done the work. I knew I'd put every all the time in and, and what would be would be if I unfortunately get injured again, then so be it. I couldn't have done any more. But also I was fortunate to work with some of the best physios, surgeons in the world. I went to America and worked with Bill Knowles. He came out and saw us. I initially worked with him in Australia and he was known as the ACL guru. He worked with Tiger Woods, with Peyton Manning, with all these superstars around the world. And when I first worked with him, he did say to me, you're very weak through your glutes through your quads, you got to get a lot stronger in all these areas. And when I went back and worked with him in my fourth rehab, I, I distinctly remember him saying to me, wow, you've gotten strong, haven't you? And and I and I sort of wore that as a bit of a badge of honour and he mm. said, mate, you're, you're, your rehab's as good as I've seen. So it, that filled me with so much confidence. I mean, you could be listening to this and saying, well, I probably should be having done it four times and that's <laughs> fair enough as well. Yeah, I guess going into that game, I it's probably the number one question I get asked, to be honest today is how did you know you wouldn't do it again Um, and the the answer is you don't unfortunately you don't you're going to have to step over that line and take that risk but if you have put the work in and you know you have and you've got it documented and you can see it then that gives you as great a confidence as you can get going into it party over the top now Menzel again right on the 50 can he kick a goal this time you bet he can what a fairy tale what a fairy tale 
was a goal of absolute class too. Great play by Stevie Motlock to break the game open. Handball over the top and then from 50 near the boundary. Well, you can't do anything else, can you? The rest is up to exactly. up to the gods. Uh, you're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. There's a bit more to come with Dan Menzel right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We've had the company today of one of footy's most resilient players, Daniel Menzel. Now, Dan, before I asked you before the, the ad break about how often you'd thought about uh, chucking it in, and you, and you said never. So what really kept you going, you touched on, in terms of watching your teammates, but the messages, I imagine, the letters of support from people, they must make a huge difference in those really dark moments. Yeah, they do. They, they make a huge uh, difference and have a huge impact on you. And I guess the messages, but also just, just little comments and um, and the people close to you um, supporting you and having that important support network around you, something that you hold on to. And I use the example, and I, I spoke to my teammates about this, um, that when you're in rehab, when you're isolated every single day, which I was compared to the playing group that trained together, when you're isolated and someone says something positive to you, you hold on to that effectively for the rest of the day because that's what's going to get you through. Whereas if you're part of the group, that small comment might not mean as much because you're going okay anyway. So in terms of those messages, they're things that I certainly always would lean on. Um, but in saying that, the the mental element of it I found very fascinating. I, I for ninety percent of my rehab was flat, down, depressed, and really struggled. And for ten percent of it was when I would read or hear these messages. Was when I was able to think about um, what it's all worth for people supporting me. And that's sort of where I came up with my wristband idea, which at the time said MTMF, which mm. is my business mental toughness, mental fortitude. And the reason I did that was. Um, I, I just remember thinking when I'm at home reading these messages, if I'm watching inspirational videos, if, if I'm in a good place, there's no way, I, I feel like training, there's no way this is ever going to get the, the, the best of me. Whereas most of the time you are struggling through rehab, it is down, depressing and flattening and you're not where you want to be. So I came up with the idea of the wristband to wear every single day and I did, I looked at it every single day in my fourth rehab and it would just remind me no, you've got this. You've got so much more support than what it feels like at the moment. Um, this is all worth it. And I, I would every single day look at it and it just give me that hit of adrenaline um, to know, okay, I've got this. And it made a massive difference for my rehab. And every time I thought this is getting hard, I'd look down and, and it'd, it'd make it a bit that little bit easier. So it was that reminder, that daily reminder that, um, yeah, I'm on track and things will work out. Amazing. Just amazing, the power of the mind, isn't it? It never ceases to, to not amaze. I, I, I'm interested in your career running virtually in parallel to Alex Johnson. I mean, he underwent five reconstructions in the end. I mean, I think, did you two form a friendship on some sort of level throughout it all or did that come later? No, we did towards the end of our rehabs. Um he was obviously in Sydney. I was obviously in Geelong, um, and he'd gone through a few. I, I feel like we went through 
similar periods mentally, to be honest. I remember through my first one or two, I had that naive, confident approach that, yeah, I, I've got my team at Geelong, but I don't need too much help elsewhere or externally. And I feel like you still have this with a lot of elite athletes. I think, nah, I'm, I know what I'm doing and I've got a good team around me. I don't need too much help. But again, I learned that's just the most naive thinking of all time. You might as well get as much information as mm. possible and filter out what works and what doesn't. And, and in learning that, particularly in my third and fourth rehabs, I then reached out to some of the other players that were going through ACLs, other injuries. I had a couple of guys, Max Bailey reached out to me early days and were really good for me. But it then became a thing that particularly in my fourth rehab, I'd speak to anyone who'd, who'd basically done an ACL. I formed a relationship with Anthony Morabito and as she said, Alex Johnson. And I probably saw Alex a little bit similar how I was early days at first when I first sort of touched base with him that, nah, he sort of thinks he's got it. He's on track. He's, he'll be right. And then I saw the shift in the changing mentality as well, which which happened with me. And then it was like, nah, okay, let's get all the information possible. Let's work out the best way to do this um, so that we can both come back. And, and yeah, it was. It was pretty special to see him come back and play. And um, I guess to an extent, when I went up to Sydney, uh, the number two, he obviously moved on from Sydney. The number two was available that he wore. Um, and so I had people say I wouldn't take that number because I, obviously Alice has done a lot of knees and mm. that might be cursed. And I, I sort of looked at the other way with our, our friendship and what he'd been through. And I messaged him and said, hey, mate, I'd love to wear your number if um, if you're okay with that. And he said, yeah, I'd love for you to wear it. So I ended up picking and choosing the number two off the back of Alex and Vice's friendship and him wearing that Guernsey when he was up at Sydney. Nah, that's nice. That's lovely. It really is. Um yeah, just amazing, isn't it? Uh, what you've been through here, and and I imagine there's, you know, the reality is, is that there's a life after footy to live, and that is the vast majority of your life. Um, uh, I know you're playing country footy, but how does the the body hold up now, and what's in store for you in the future? Do you think, in terms of particularly your left knee and the health of it going forward? Yeah, it's um, Sammy. This is one of my favourite questions I get asked now because I answer this with a smile that I. Back when I was 19 to probably 27, 28, I was a um, joint restricted or um, joint prohibited athlete effectively where, or joint compromise was the word, sorry, where I couldn't run outside on the roads. I could only run on grass. I couldn't run back-to-back days. My body just couldn't hold up and take it. Whereas I could go outside right now and go and run 10 kilometers on the road and my body would be fine, Um, which um, I probably never thought I'd be able to do and it's something that I um I don't take for granted at all I love being able to go for a run and uh and enjoy it and and not feel pain which I had for majority of my life whether it be through my knees through my groins as a result of it um or through other parts of my body so I'm in a really fortunate position now where um I'm just going to enjoy playing the next few years um I feel like I missed a lot of footy so I'm not going to be hanging them up anytime soon but in terms of overall health with my knees, um, I'm pretty fortunate. I've got minor bone bruising in my left knee, which um, which over time I'll just have to manage. But um, I didn't have horrific cartilage damage throughout my ACL reconstructions and, and tears where I'll have really bad arthritis. So mm. I'm very fortunate oh, in that regard. Yeah, indeed. Now, that's great. That's important. You've got to be able to have a kick with Bailey too going forward, mate. Exactly right. That's um, <laughs> one of the things I'm looking forward to the most. And don't worry, my fiance Ash has mentioned to me a few times, are you going to be able to walk around when he's old? Yeah. I said, absolutely, I'll still be playing, so that's right. Trust me, mate, uh, from experience, you want to save some petrol in the tank for that. They, they make you <laughs> earn it, don't worry about that. Um, Dan Menzel, great to catch up with you. Just 
amazing powers of resilience you showed throughout your career. And there's no doubt, you know, now you can sit back with the satisfaction that you gave it everything. You left nothing out there. And I hope there's a piece that obviously comes from that. And, and thanks for sharing your story with us today. It certainly is. And thanks, Sammy. I really appreciate that. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. You can jump online, find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. And we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.